are listening to the Tour des Flaneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 20, today we're in Rocamadour. Well, Francois, we're waiting for the traditional winners Tour de France press conference down at the press room, not far from Rocamador. Jonas Vingegaard nearly pulled off a surprise time trial stage win. Not quite, though. He led through the three checkpoints, but faded towards the end. He had that little wobble as well on the descent where his back wheel went again. Jumbo Visma ought to check that back wheel out. I know it was a different back wheel because he was on his time trial bike today, but he was very close to the going off the edge of the road and into the, the, the rock on the side. But uh, in the end, Vingegaard second to his teammate Wout van Aert. Jumbo Visma imperious again. Yeah, well, he was in, in, you know, in a way the predicted uh, outcome of the race today. We, we all sort of expected Wout van Aert to win this time to all the way. He, he, he did it last year in Saint-Emilion. That's what happened. But as you said, you know, Jonas Vingegaard was again really, really impressive until uh, this, you know, uh, strange corner where, he, where he, you know, I mean, gravel is getting very popular among, I mean, Tanei Pogacar, you know, had a taste of gravel uh, in Pyrenees and, and, you know, trying to to surprise and to attack uh, Vingegaard in the descent. And today, really, there was a, there was a thrill, you know, could tell in the press room. when, uh, And so after that, Vingegaard obviously took a much more cautious approach to the, the end of the, the, the time trial and even eased, eased off completely you know, on the final stretch when, uh, you know, you could tell he was already kind of celebrating uh, as he crossed the line, losing at least 10 seconds there you know and while you know Wood Van Aert was uh, just waiting for him and they, they, they tried you know, more or less you know to kind of shake hands on the after after the line for what has been let's face it the Jumbo Visma triumph in this Tour de France. I drove up to the course just about probably 1500 meters away from here you could come out of the where the press room is and, and go up and watch and uh, it was a downhill section coming past a roundabout and Van Aert was flying I mean noticeably quicker than uh, the, the likes of Mühlberger and Carlos Verona and some of the other riders that had gone through just a bit earlier he was almost on Nick Schultz and by the time I got back to the press room and uh, watched on the TV he passed Nick Schultz his, uh, the rider who'd set off in front of him. Uh, very impressive by Wout van Aert. But Vingegaard, I was pretty surprised by what just what a strong time trial he put together because, uh, well, he led through the first, second and third time checks, although uh, van Aert's um, uh, the, the, the gap, time gap was coming down and, and it was obvious that uh, as he came into the final col five kilometres, Vingegaard had lost um, the chance of winning the stage. It wasn't the most thrilling of time trials, really, was it? Because the big four, Vingegaard, Pogacar, Van Aert and Geraint Thomas, it turned out, um, they kind of rode around, shuffling the pack ever so slightly, the, the, the order um, behind Vingegaard at those time checks. And before that, Mikkel Björg set the first of the serious times and then the world time trial champion, Filippo Ganna, uh, scorched through. Um, but then when Van Aert beat that time, um, it did look like uh, that would be that for the day. And even though Vingegaard was, was going great guns, 
one of the Jumbo Visma riders was a non-starter today, Nathan Van Hoydonk, pulled out for family reasons. Don't know too much more about that at the moment. Um, he is the nephew of former Tour of Flanders winner Edwig van Hoydonk, of course, and his father Gino was also a pro rider. So, um, yeah, don't know too many more uh, details about that, but clearly very sad that he's got so close to, to Paris and had to uh, go home and won't get to accompany Vingegaard and his teammates on the Champs-Élysées tomorrow. The cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens for sponsoring the cycling podcast. They've recently done a survey of some of the athletes, uh, amateur and uh, elite, who have signed up to use the Super Sapiens system of continuous glucose monitoring. And according to that survey, 70% of people say that Super Sapiens has improved their daily food management and eating habits. 61% say Super Sapiens has improved their daily lifestyle or training quality. And 57% say that Super Sapiens has helped reduce the number of times that they bonk or crash or feel low energy uh, while exercising. If you'd like to find out more about Super Sapiens, go to supersapiens.com. My own personal experience was that it uh, prompted me to look at my diet quite significantly and um, think about how I might lose some weight. Um, and so I have Super Sapiens to thank for kickstarting that process. Uh, right, roughly a year ago now that was really when I realised that um, that my uh, well my waistline was going in the wrong direction. Right, <laughs> while you're smiling after my after my diet over the last couple of days, um, yeah, I need to do some need to do some serious correcting to my diet when I get back home. But when you're in the southwest of France, it's very difficult, isn't it? We had a nice lunch at the press buffet today, and I was very pleased to be able to enjoy the Rocamadour cheese, which was as good as I remembered it. It's a lovely soft goat's cheese with an, an, a nice, um, not really a crust on it, but it's got a nice skin on it. Um, and what I hadn't really realised was it, it's actually best enjoyed very young. It's a young cheese. Well, with goat cheese, you've got two schools. I mean, you know, you, you, the guys who like them creamy, which was the case today. And I think, uh, personally, I think Rocamado is better that way. And, uh, and But you, some guys prefer to let them age and eat the kind of rock-hard uh, stuff. I, I mean, the two options are, are valid. I, I, well, like you and like you said, to, today was, was the, the, you know, the soft, uh, smooth uh, sauce, or, you know, very young uh, Rocamado. And, yeah, actually, it's... I, Personally, I like it better. The the the, the hot the, the hot stuff is, is is good with a glass of wine, and we didn't drink wine this uh, you know this lunch. So uh, the great you know it's nice to remember last year we did the we did the cheese of the day uh, on the Tour de France. We didn't we didn't do it this time, but uh, Rocamadour is one of the strongholds of you know goat cheese and one of the good ones. So well you know go for it if you have a chance. Yeah, it's definitely up there in the goat's cheese category. It'd probably be in the top 10 of GC of my favourite French cheeses, I would say. Uh, do you have a favourite French cheese, Francois? 
Well, there's one I like very much, but it's very extreme. Uh, it's one for the cobbles, or it comes from the north of France, and it's called La Boulette d'Aven. And it's, 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 it's kind of a cone. Uh, it's, it's, it's grayish with orange little, you know, uh, shades of orange on top of it. When you, when you cut it, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's kind of rugged. I mean, the, uh, the, the flesh is, uh, is, is not very smooth. The flesh is like, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's kind of marbly, I would yeah, say. Marbly, marbly is the, yes, marbly is, is, is a great uh, term. The, the the taste and the smell of it are extreme. Uh, let's face it. Uh, so it could, you know, if you're not into that sort of cheese, don't go for it because it's really, really, uh, how could I say, smelly and the same. And the taste is kind of can be aggressive. If you if it's too old or if it's not uh, well kept, it, it can become a little bit sour and even a little bit acid like vinegar. But if you if you keep it well and if you take it at the right time with the right stuff it's uh well yeah that, that's at least it's a very very original uh cheese and uh well you know so if you're into you know hardcore extreme cheeses go for boulette d'aven what's the orange sort of dust on the outside is it some kind of almost a chili powder type thing is it is that what they dip it in that's the impression i i had at first but i think that just when it when when it ages in and kind of kind of rots you know it it, it, take, it takes this uh this orange color a little bit you, you find the same thing in some of the eastern cheese like munster where you know so sometimes the, the 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 skin of it the top of it get gets a little bit orange um yeah i mean it, it's it's in this kind of category i mean if you you know like you know i, I understand that some people might not like it at all I used to, to like soft cheese very much, um, like you know Reblochon, which can be absolutely excellent when it's when it's good. But I, I've I've actually stopped eating um, cow's cheese mostly uh, because yeah, like you, I'm, it's not it's not it's only it's a, it's a question of diet and also my my tastes have changed a little bit, evolved, and I'm more into goat's cheese or even you know sheep's cheese from the, from the Pyrenees. I like Manchego. I like this sort of things these days. I like you know to cut you know very very uh, thin slices of uh, a Spanish queso and uh, and uh, with a little bit of uh, marmalade or you know or jam uh, on top of it. So so yeah, tastes evolve, and I'm I'm into the Spanish stuff now. Well, there is a Tour de France link to this cheese because many years ago now, I think 2006 or 2007, when I covered the Tour de France in a camper van with Ed Pickering, our colleague still here on the race, and we'll hear from Ed a bit later on in this episode, but we covered the tour, we travelled in a camper van, so the camper van was our, um, well, it was our hotel, it was our uh, press room, um, and uh, three men in there, (laughs) it was, you know, it got quite warm at night, and one night we went for a meal over somewhere in the northeast somewhere it might have been a compiègne sort of area and uh, we had this meal and then the cheese trolley came out and it was quite an extravagant cheese trolley all stacked up high and on the right on the very top was this uh, this pointy um, cheese which uh, madame called le volcan the volcano and it was with this sort of orangey fiery dust on it or mold or whatever it was and of course being uh, being idiots um we we didn't heed her warning and we had a big chunk of this cheese and my word it made the sort of tear ducts well up you could feel it in your tonsils almost um you could certainly feel it going all the way down it was a really really strong flavor but that was nothing compared to how the flavor matured overnight you could smell it on your skin the next day this incredible pungent 
uh, cheese. Um, and I'd never known what it actually was until last night. And we were having this conversation about cheese, Francois, and you said, oh, boulette d'Avene, and you described it, and I was like, that might be it. And so I Googled it, and sure enough, finally, I know the name, the actual name of Le Volcan, so I know what to avoid <laughs> next time. Well, it's, it's actually, uh, that's a recipe. I used to go to a restaurant. I was a student in Lille, uh, and one of the recipe was um, uh, pork chop, Uh, avenoise, which means melted boulette d'avene on top of it, so not very kosher at all. And when the uh, and when the the, the, the waiter came th from the kitchen into the the, the the room and you know and w w went to your table with that uh, dish, I mean the smell was absolutely outrageous. Everybody was watching what you were uh, um, having, and it was really you know you were kind of uh, the star of the show with that uh, disgusting uh, <laughs> dish coming your way. But there you are, you know. Well, let's just talk a bit more about the time trial before we go in and uh, see the winners' press conference. The top three on GC traditionally come into the press room after the penultimate stage. Um, but yeah, Wout van Aert, another time trial win for him in the Tour de France and possibly this uh, quartet of Jumbo-Visma stage wins to round off the Tour de France. It's very much on, isn't it? If Van Aert or Laporte, they have two live options for the Champs-Élysées tomorrow. Vingegaard in the end convincing, I mean 19 seconds behind Van Aert, but as you say, uh, quite a chunk of that was uh, just in him kind of sitting up and enjoying the moment as he, as he came home. Pogacar, solid ride, 27 seconds down. And Geraint Thomas, really, really good finish to a, an excellent tour for him at 32 seconds, 10 seconds quicker than the world time trial champion, Ghana, who was uh, the fifth of five riders to average over 50 kilometers an hour for um, you know, a lumpy-ish course with that climb at the end, of course. After them came Balka Molema, Mattia Catanio, Fred Wright of Bahrain Victorious. That's a very, very good ride by him. Uh, one minute 32 down on Van Aert but after his uh, you know the leg testing break yesterday um, that bodes well for his future then Max Schachmann of Bora Hansgrohe and another Bahrain victorious rider like Fred Wright Jan Tratnik in 10th and I suppose Stefan Kung 11th you know a specialist time trialist but that today was really a grand tour end of a grand tour end of a long hot tour de france type time trial when you see the gc riders they're the strongest men in the race and um, it, it comes down to strength and uh, endurance more than it does um, the, the sort of time trial specialism yes ab absolutely i mean you know you, you can tell those jerseys kind, kind of as you say transcend them they they, they really go for it they, they have a kind of magic uh, effect on the uh, on the riders uh, well very good Overall performance by, by the French today. I mean, uh, Romain Bardet for many years, you know, really, really lost it in in, uh, in time trials. And re remember 2017 when he, in Marseille, when he lost, uh, you know, second place to Rigoberto Uran, thanks to his poor time trial. And he's, in, he's improved considerably uh, and managed, if I'm not wrong, to overtake uh, Uh, Luis Menkes uh, overall to settle in seventh place, and David Godu is not n not a time trial expert uh, either, but he uh, another solid performance, and he, he kind of strengthened or at least 
comforted his uh, fourth place. Uh, well, you know, so there's, there's something there, uh, maybe for the future. Uh, but yeah, as you said, you know, the, the, so the, 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 there was a little bit of a shake-up in the GC, but minor one uh, with Nairo Quintana and Luis Menkes uh, losing a little bit of ground, I think, on uh, Andrei Lutsenko and Bardet coming uh, over Luis Menkes. Um, yeah, experience there. Uh, you know, mattered a, a lot, but once again, uh, yeah, on, on the, those last uh, time trials of a Grand Tour, uh, you, you never get the results you would have at the World Championship uh, at all. Uh, that, and once again, I mean, Wout van Aert, what, what can you say? You know, uh, we'll wait for tomorrow to see whether uh, he can. Well, he did it last year. You know, win the time trial and and back to back win the the final sprint in the Champs Elysees. If he did, I mean, the performance by Jumbo Visma with seven wins. I mean, now they've 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 equalled the best performance since um, of uh, Team Sky in 2012, who had six uh, stage wins. If they if uh, Van Aert win all apart, as you said, win uh, tomorrow on the Champs Elysees with seven wins, they they will be the it will be the best overall team results. Uh, since uh, 1984 and uh, Renault Gitane. So, yeah, I mean, what can we say? Uh, flawless performance by, by Jumbo Visma, and, and we, can, we can really not see any reason why it shouldn't go on until the end in Paris. Yeah, let's not downplay how well David Godu rode today because although he did have a little buffer, he still did a very good time trial, finished 26th, and we have seen him blow up a bit in time trials before, so... Um, he'll be very pleased with that fourth place. And then, as we kind of highlighted yesterday, positions five to eight were really rife for a shake-up. And that's what happened because Alexander Vlasov leapt up from seventh to fifth. Naira Quintana went down one. Uh, Roman Bardet went up one. And Louis Menkes, as he said, Francois, went down from sixth to eighth. So he equals his best Tour de France GC finish. Menkes, but doesn't beat it. Uh, Alexei Luxenko and Adam Yates round out the top 10. The time gap's so significant, aren't they? I mean, 10th place, Adam Yates 25 minutes down. I mean, that's not necessarily unusual, but uh, it's very much been the, the top two, then Thomas, and then Godou, and then kind of uh, the best of the rest. And I think today the, the time trial would sort of back that up, really. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, it, it just, you know, confirmed what we saw in the mountains, uh, once again, we, we, when we first saw Tadej Pogacar fade, you know, and wane a little bit uh, on Granon, we, it was so unexpected that we, we 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 asked ourselves what was wrong. But in every stage that mattered, Vingegaard was the best man. What better than Pogacar? Even today, uh, you know, obviously, well, maybe Pogacar had lost his morale a little bit, you know, and he, 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 he settled for, for, for that second place and was didn't have the motivation to really go for it because there was no absolutely no chance uh, of uh, you know uh, overtaking or toppling uh, Vingegaard uh, off the but yeah the the, the outcome is, is pretty logical I mean really Vingegaard from the start in Denmark till the finish in 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 Rocamadour uh, was was simply the the, the, the better man and uh, you know sometimes you we've seen of course this spectacular uh, you know uh, like like changes at the last minute, like we did, we, we had in 2020 when Pogacar beat Roglic, but it, they're very rare. And um, I don't know what to say because I mean it, it was really a kind of a textbook performance by Jumbo Visma with a few the few little thrills and hiccups here here and there. 
but really uh in the end yeah the 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 hierarchy was really confirmed today and as you said very very impressed by the the, the maybe the most consistent like you know with this <laughs> With his with his familiar white classes, you know, uh, going his own way and 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 riding through France, you know, looking at, at, at the podium. I mean, Garen Thomas at the age of 36 rode a sensational uh, Tour de France. He has now been on the f- on the three spots of the uh, of the podium. Uh, I mean, it's 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 not a, it's not a career uh, crowning because I mean he won the Tour de Suisse and he's probably got got more. Uh, you know, in his legs, but but once again, I mean, if if anybody had doubts about uh, about Garen Thomas, you know, GC and and Grand Tour uh, abilities, I mean, he's now, I mean, his, his record speaks for itself. Well, let's go back into the press room and wait for the top three. Earlier on today, I spoke to some friends of the cycling podcast from the press room just to get their thoughts on the Tour de France in general. Uh, first up, this is our friend Ciro Scognamilio, cycling writer for the big Italian newspaper La Gazzetta dello Sport. Ciro, if I may say so, that is a very nice Hawaiian-style shirt. Very bright orange with uh, some very vivid flowers. You've got a fuchsia flower and some bright green leaves. You look like you're dressed for holidays. Yes, it's exactly, dear listeners. I bought this uh, in Rio de Janeiro, where I was not for the Olympics, obviously, but for holidays. And I'm preparing for the stage number 22 uh, on Monday, the only stage that I can win. You already know this. <laughs> no win for Italy today. Filippo Ganna, well, no answer to Wout van Aert. I mean, uh, Wout van Aert is, in my opinion, by far... The best rider of this Tour de France. I don't think that uh, also the performance of Jonas Vingegaard or Tadej Pogacar, well, certainly Vingegaard will win the Tour, Tadej Pogacar will be second, but concerning the performance, uh, you know, in basketball, NBA, they use uh, the this kind of uh, world most valuable player, MVP. I think that Vote One Art can be considered the MVP of this Tour. WVA is the MVP. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. What's the mood about Italian cycling, though? We talked a bit about this uh, during the Giro, didn't we? Not a lot to cheer about here. Well, we already knew this. And uh, also the Giro has been disappointing also because uh, Vincenzo Nibali arrived fourth, but he is almost 38 and he will retire at the end of the season. We already knew this. The big problem, in my opinion, for Italian cycling is that we don't have a, a man a, that can take the legacy of Vincenzo Nibali for the Grand Tour. Not this year, not next year, but I don't see an Italian rider competing for the victory of a Grand Tour in the next five, six, seven years. I must confess, I have to say honestly this. For concerning the other things, it's true. No stage victories for Italy, but we need uh, maybe a special edition of the podcast only to speak about this. Maybe, I don't know, an evening in London, dear listeners, my dream as we had some years ago in foilers in Tottenham Court Road, because certainly Italy no stage victory. The last one in tour would be, was Vincenzo Nibali in 2019, but for example, Spain. 
The last one was in 2019, Omar Friday, Mand. French guys, only two stage victories in two years in the Tour. Alaphilippe, the first one of last year, and Laporte yesterday. So, I mean, uh, let's talk about Belgium. Belgium in these last years, they had a great, great champions. For example, Bonen, Gilbert, and now Evenepoel and Wout Panart is amazing. But we have to remember that this last Belgian winner of a Grand Tour, we have to come back to 17, uh, the 70 years. I mean, there of Van Imp. Or... So, I mean, it's complicated. The analysis, the cycling is spreading. I mean, the number of nations that are competitive at high level is increasing year by year and so forth traditional nations is becoming um, always more difficult. What about UAE Team Emirates then? Because that team has the kind of the heart of Lamprey really still. No, it kind of evolved from um, an Italian team, still has some key Italian staff. But of course, Andre Hauptmann, uh, Tade Pogacar. Why, why is a team like that not scouting, looking for the, 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 the next big Italian riders? Or, or maybe they are and it's just too soon. Yes, it's true. It's the only. It's not all the only team that have an important, uh, uh, for example, Italian members. Not only as rider, but also in the staff. For example, also Astana, but also Ineos Grenadiers. For example, I mean, as uh, sport directors that are Italian, Choni Tosato, mechanics, uh, Suaniers. Concerning UAE, I think that. Um, that certainly they are looking for the next big Italian thing in cycling, but I don't see this, uh, as I told you, in the, in the horizon. So it's also difficult to find, to scout, because in my opinion, so far doesn't exist. For example, we talked about Spain. Spain, for example, has Ayuso and Rodriguez. They are normally in perspective really strong. I don't see at the same age... Italians so strong, unfortunately. What do you think of Vingegaard and Pogacar's battle this year? Because I thought Pogacar would be very, very difficult to beat, but he's had two wobbles and Vingegaard has uh, capitalised on those wobbles and, and won convincingly, really, in the end. Well, certainly before the start of the tour, my bet was Pogacar. Uh, I must confess this, uh, but uh, their battle has been really, really impressive. In my opinion, the level of performance in this Tour de France has been the highest in the last period. I, covering the Tour de France, starting on the road, I mean, till 2007, more or less, so 15 years. In the last period, in this year, as has had the most impressive level and certainly Vingegaard deserved the victory and I think that this can be a kind of battle also in the future because Pogacar is only 23, Vingegaard only 25. It's not the first time that they share first and second place in a race, obviously. Uh, last year in the Tour de France, but for example, also in Tirreno Adriatico uh, of this year, Pogacar arrived first, Vingegaard arrived second. So can be a kind of duel as we saw in the past, for example, as Contador Schleck, but also for more years, in my opinion. Why do you think the level has been so high this year? I mean, I've got some some thoughts about the way um, the course has been, the, quite a lot of short stages. Um, there hasn't been 
the days when everyone is a bit frightened of the parkour, maybe. But, but the racing has gone from kilometer zero nearly every day. Several reasons. Uh, in my opinion, now every team arrives at the Tour de France uh, with the preparation not 100, but 110%. And in the Tour de France, more and more in the years, everything counts. Uh, not only the victory, not only the second or the third place, but also the other classifications. I don't want to speak only about the results, but the things that impressed me maybe more in this Tour de France, guys, for example, as Michael Morkov, guys as Marc Soler, they arrived uh, outside time limit, but they want to arrive at the finish. Jakobsen, really, for example, uh, for 16 seconds, uh, he arrived at, he was able to finish the stage in the Pyrenees, but also Geschke. He cried when he lost his Polka dot jersey. So in my opinion, these are the images, these images can explain better than any other words why is the tourists so important and why the level has been so high. And what will you do for stage 22? Dear listeners, uh, certainly you can imagine not mountains. Uh, on Monday in Milan, um, I must confess that the very Stage number 22 for me will be on Thursday because on Thursday we'll start two week period of holidays. You can imagine where, you can imagine which kind of holidays. And I can assure you, dear listeners, if in these holidays I see by chance uh, a cyclist, maybe cross my road, I change my direction. This is for sure. Well, enjoy your holiday, Chira. You've earned it. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport, our long-term sponsors. They've been with us since, I think, 2016. I could be wrong. It could even be 2015. It's a long time now, and we're very grateful for their continued support. And for a long time, they've also been passing on a 25% discount to all Cycling Podcast listeners. Go to scienceinsport.com and use the discount code SISCP25 and stock up on everything you need to fuel your ride. Not just during your ride, but also before and afterwards to make sure that you're in tip-top condition for your training or racing. That's SISCP25 at scienceinsport.com. This is Edward Pickering. Uh, my good friend and colleague, we first covered the tour together for Cycle Sport magazine back in 2006, I think it was, certainly 2006, 2007. As I said, we uh, shared a camper van on and off during those tours, and he enjoyed the uh, Boulette d'Aven as well. And, uh, well, this is his impressions of the Tour de France. These days, of course, he is the editor of Rouleur magazine, and before that, he was editor of Pro Cycling. So, uh, very experienced cycling journalist, and we had a chat about the tour in general. What's your main takeaway on the tour, Ed? Because it has been a race where it was very exciting and it was in the balance and then all of a sudden it wasn't in the balance at all. 
No, you're right, actually. I think that it's been an exciting tour. Um, I'm not just saying that because I'm an excitable person about cycling. I, I'm, I'm not afraid to say if the tour has been boring. For example, last year, I found the tour um, below averagely exciting. Um, this year, it's been exciting to watch. I think there's been quite a lot of variety, quite a lot of surprises, um, quite a lot of aggression, a lot of attacking. And um, through the race, I've, I felt that there was a lot of jeopardy in in the yellow jersey battle, even after the Col du Granon. Um, every day I was waiting to see what Pogacar was going to do and it seemed like it could be you know, a close race. And then in retrospect, as soon as they pretty much started the last climb up to Otakam, I realised that the GC battle hadn't been that, you know, there hadn't been that much jeopardy and, and that Pogacar, uh, sorry, Vingegaard was always going to win. So I've got, it's, it's a funny mix of not much dynamism in retrospect in the yellow jersey competition after the Col du Granon mixed with really some quite innovative and exciting stage battles. And I'm thinking of, you know, Wout van Aert's win in Calais was unusual because, that, you know, I, I think most years up to this year, that would have been a, a sprint. Um, maybe Eugenie Alaphilippe in the last couple of years could have done, done the same, but I think that was a sprint stage and he won it in quite an unusual way. Then you carry on through, through you know, the cobbled stage is always very dynamic. Um, the middle mountain stages, you know, in the in the, the Vosges and the Alps were, you know, they were quite exciting because the race was still quite close at those points. And I think Bobby Ungles attacking a long way out. The main GC stage, the only real kind of meaningful GC stage in retrospect, the Col du Granon was, was brilliant. Um, and then we had things like, you know, Michael Matthews winning at Mond, which I think still remains my... Probably with the Col du Granon, my, my favourite stage of this tour. So every day there's been something exciting and compelling. So on a on a day-to-day basis, I've really enjoyed this tour. And then looking back over the GC battle, I think really there was one important day and the rest was kind of a, a phony war. It kind of reminded me of the Giro this year in reverse, where it was very, very close all, all the way through to that one crucial stage. This time the crucial stage came early and then it seemed like there was a battle, but maybe maybe there wasn't. Obviously the riders still have to ride through and the race happened. But in retrospect, you can say of this tour, the strongest rider won, second strongest rider was second, third strongest rider third, fourth strongest fourth. <laughs> Behind that, I mean, and yeah, I've, I've not seen the result of the time trial. We're speaking before the end of the time trial, so I'm not, not going to go any further than that. And Gordu Mills still might have a shocker. Well, that's a relief because the general idea of the general classification is that it sorts the riders into the order of how strong they've been over three weeks. So, perfect. No, this is, this is the thing about cycling, that cycling is about who the strongest is, but the really good thing about cycling is that people can make it, teams can make it, and individuals can make it so that the strongest rider doesn't win. And you could even argue that if the Crawl de Granon hadn't happened the way it did, Pogacar might have been the strongest. He looked, he looked a little bit stronger than Vingegaard in the run-up to, to, to that stage. But Vingegaard and Jumbo Visma, I think they beat him psychologically rather than physically. The physical battle was as close as anything. The, you know, the, the, the two strongest riders were up there, but you know, the, the difference in the end, which totally negates what I just told you two minutes ago, um, you know, the difference was that one stage where there was an element of gamesmanship, of drawing Pogacar out. And, and the thing I think they did against him, they used his strength against him. Our listeners love football analogies, so I'll uh, give a football analogy. But it was like two very well-matched teams, but Pogacar found himself chasing the match 2-0 down. Um, if it had been level, you know, 0-0, nil, nil, 
Um, he perhaps, I think what you're saying about the psychological battle, is it, that's where he got undone really because he had just too much to make up. If it had been closer, he could have taken more risks. He probably, you know, might have landed a blow or two and the psychological doubt <coughs> might have been with Vingegaard instead of with Pogaccia. Um So I think, yeah, he was in a position where he had to try and force things to happen and, and he couldn't, couldn't do it going up. He tried to do it going down and, and came a bit of a cropper. The other theme for me from this tour is that there really hasn't been any crumbs left for the smaller teams. I mean, the smaller teams uh, have really not um, had any great opportunities to... They haven't even really been allowed to um, shape the brakes and, and get up the road much because the identity of the riders in the brake, especially over the second half of the race, it's been powerhouse riders day after day. Even yesterday's doomed break was basically five of the best rulers in the world being given a minute and 50 seconds, and that was it. Yep, there's nothing nothing left for the weaker riders anymore. That's it. Um, I, I do agree, I agree with you to an extent. I mean, when you look at... Well, it's clear that Yui and Jumbo-Visma and Ineos, I think, they've... They've been the best. They've been the strongest. They've been, had the most strength and depth. They've controlled the racing. Um, that said, a couple of teams have punched above their weight. I think EF, um, Easy Post. You know, they got, they, they got their they got their stage win. Um, Israel Premier Tech got two stage wins and on these you know hard hard stages. And you know, the, a few teams have come over stage wins, but I, they've kind of rescued their tour with that. You know that. Like I said, there have been slim pickings. The last two mountain stages were won by Pogacar and Vingegaard. Um, in the Col de Granon stage, Vingegaard won. Um, the breaks just don't really get minutes and minutes anymore. Even yesterday, I, I can't remember what it peaked out at because I was having a slight doze in the press room, but it, it wasn't much above a minute. When you think a minute, you know, in the past, they used to leave it till 10k to go to, you know, bring them back to a minute. And these days, like, 80k to go they'll be controlling in a minute and yeah it's the the dynamics change and i guess the tour is so important that they then risk you know the break being successful but yeah apart from those top teams when you look at you know astana lotto um bnb hotels even teams like bora and you know haven't they had confidence haven't come away with much i mean confidence almost came away with a climbers jersey which they actually probably de- deserved in 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 my opinion but it, They've come away with nothing apart from a few days on the podium. All those teams, yeah, there's not been much for them. You're right. I mean, it, the tour has been kind of moving towards a situation where there are the haves and the have-nots, and you'll get just a couple of teams just nicking a stage win here and there, and that, that seems to be the story of the modern tour. The theme for me has been the intensity, and I do wonder now, everyone knows now that the race is broadcast from kilometre zero to the end. There's literally nowhere to hide anymore, and although maybe the viewing figures aren't huge uh, on a midweek afternoon at uh, you know the first 50k or so I do wonder whether the combination of shorter stages the fact it's all on television uh, there's not a minute of the race that doesn't matter anymore there, re- there really isn't there's no kind of downtime there's no there's not even been one of those sort of unofficial truce type stages this year no, maybe the maybe the second and third stage in Denmark. It's just a just a little bit more relaxed, which is funny. But at the same time, more relaxed in terms of letting the brake go straight away. But you know, it was tense. There were crashes. The roads were narrow, and it was in it, it was still very intense. But you're right. Sometimes the brake has been taking sixty or seventy kilometres to go, and that's full on racing for you know an hour and a half at the start of the stage. And that that's that's got to take a 
physical toll and you can you can see it and i think one of the effects that this has is that the the gc gets fairly set and we're kind of waiting for Pogacar to do a big kind of Hail Mary in the Pyrenees. But I don't think, don't think he can. I don't think his team is up to it. And I don't think he's up to it because, you know, the, the racing's been intense. It's been a hot tour as well. And there's, there's just not that lull that used to get, you know, on quite a few days during the tour or during the transition stages. You know, those three stages in the Massieu Central between the Alps and the Pyrenees this year. I remember even maybe 10 years ago, those or 15 years ago, those would have all been day for the break, GC riders sit up and kind of trundle in 15 minutes behind a bunch of guys. And now it's just not like that. The, the, the break is racing intensely to get away, keeping a gap of five or six minutes tops. And then they have to race for the win. And then the GC riders start kicking off a little bit or their teams start kicking off a little bit at the end of those stages. So apart from Denmark, maybe... It's been full on every day and they, they must all be shattered. And what about Vingegaard? Because, well, somebody made the point on our podcast. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Francois. It might actually have been Dan Martin. It was a good point, so it certainly wasn't me. Um, but in 2019, we thought, well, that's it. We're in the Egan Banal era now. Everyone's living in his world. Then it was, well, Pogacar. Everyone's basically um, trying to, you know, just hang on to his coattails. Vingegaard has looked really, really good, but is he a kind of, you know, is he going to back up? Is he going to be a multiple tour winner or will Pogacar kind of reassert his um, superiority next year? I know I generally don't like um, speculation, but it does feel a little bit like the, the, the good point that was made was that this intensity of the racing, is it leading to kind of shorter eras at the top for riders and, a, and, a, and more of a kind of turnover of stars? It's a good question. It's, it's, we, don't, we don't know what's going to happen because one thing I do think about this tour is that Pogacar was a little bit found out. In the past, he used to go for long attacks. Everyone was kind of so intimidated and scared by it that maybe they just assumed they were racing for second, whereas this year, the race was taken to him. He, you know, he spent a lot of the first 10 days making little efforts here and there. And at, at the time, we all thought, well, it's Pogacar doing Pogacar stuff. Turned out maybe he might have been tying himself out. And now he's kind of I think he might have lost his element of surprise now when he attacks from a long way out like he did in the Pyrenean stage or tried to people are following him and it's closing him down he did you know did the same maybe on the outdoor stage maybe he's been found out but then again you know you can see objectively he's so physically talented and geared towards these kinds of races that you know you know he won't tail off I don't think his morale will go I think he's he's I think he's got an optimistic predisposition and that's going to mean that he's going to come back. He might try and rein in the constant attacking, and which might, might be to his benefit. If, if his goal is to win lots and lots of Tours de France, then if he reins in and bases, you know, just follows Pogacar around, oh, sorry, Vingegaard around for, for, for two weeks and does one big attack, then physically maybe that's the way to do it. So don't think Pogacar's finished. On the other hand, Vingegaard, I'm still... I'm still getting to know him and I think he's still quite enigmatic as a, a human being. As a racer, he's obviously very good because he was second best of the rest last year. I know there were extenuating circumstances, you know, a lot of riders crashed out. But the, That's the tour. Yeah, the riders who finished the race, you know, that's the order they finished and he deserved his second place. Um, didn't really have an off day last year. He, I, I think he, he didn't, he probably didn't follow Pogacar in the Alps. He didn't feel, you know, that was his place and he was 
you know, everyone was so intimidated, so maybe bought into that. But second last year, without really having any big off days, this year he hasn't shown one... I don't think he's shown a single weakness. I've not, I've not looked at him and thought he's vulnerable a, a single time. And it's why I felt quite early on between the Alps and Pyrenees that he, he had Pogacar's measure, just because, yeah, he just showed no weakness. On the other hand, something, something about, especially multiple tour winners, they, there's, there's a kind of charisma that they have, and it's unique to each one. They all have different, you know, it's not like you have to have a certain set of personality traits to win the Tour de France multiple times. But they've each got their own charisma. Like Froome was kind of aloof and diffident and you know, rode in, you know, in an indestructible manner when he was on the bike and kind of had that intimidating team. And that was his tour-winning charisma. When you think of someone like you know, Armstrong, obviously he's been stripped of his titles, but when he was, in inverted commas, winning all those tours, he had a kind of reign of fear, of intimidation. Um, Indurain was the kind of, was quiet, placid, but again, showed no emotion whatsoever. And all, all those riders had charisma of a certain kind of rubber, which kind of reinforced their racing ability. And with Vingegaard, I just, I, I just don't know what that is with him. I mean, he's, he's, he's very good at racing his bike, we can tell that, but, you know, he's not really shown anything else. And it might be that he's still, even towards the last few stages of this year's tour, he's kind of been eclipsed a bit, in terms of column inches by Pogacar because we've been waiting for him to do something. We're still all talking and thinking about him. Suddenly, I'm turning my attention to Vingegaard and kind of wondering what he's like and how he'll assert himself in the future because he was the underdog going in this year and that suits him very well. Next year, that, that won't be the case. All eyes will be on him and, and I'm trying to work out how he'll deal with that and what his kind of tour winning charisma is. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. What is his kind of superpower away from the actual racing ability? He doesn't look like a particularly intimidating character, other than a kind of a, a limpet-like ability to react as soon as Pagacha did anything. Vingegaard just did not wait. He, there was barely a moment's hesitation in the tour. Um, just a thought that occurred to me about Pagacha is, you know, he was like the kind of the, the kid at school who was brilliant at absolutely everything, and you know, then another child joins the school from another school and turns out to be slightly better. And it sort of maybe will shock him into, you know, perhaps um, he didn't, you know, he's so used to perhaps not having to get into the, you know, the very, very top gear that often um, that, that he didn't quite know how to find it and, and that he maybe needs to just go, go away and, um, and work out how to meet a challenge that is every bit his equal for next year. I mean, it must be strange, particularly the manner he won last year, to come up against, you know, a much, much firmer challenge and find that when he wanted it, it wasn't quite there. No, but that, that is also, I think, to do with the racing style he had this year. You know, he attacked on, he attacked over the cobbles and he obviously sprinted to win stages six and seven. Those, those efforts are worthwhile. However, he was sprinting for the line in the middle mountain stages in, into the Alps and then I started thinking he was actually being a bit showy and a bit complacent because at that point he wasn't five minutes clear of Fingergold. He was like 39 seconds or something. So I, th I think he's been undone by that. And he, he, I don't think he would have to change much at all to be extremely convincing rival to Fingergold next year. And also, you know, the tables have turned. Everyone based their race around Pogacar this year. Next year, everyone's going to base their race around Fingergold. 
and everyone's going to be watching him. He's not going to have the element of surprise. When he starts mucking around on the Col de Glibier next year on Route to the Granon, maybe people will be wise to that. So, you know, you, you always, even as a multiple tour winner, you have to keep finding new ways of winning the tour. I mean, Indra never did, actually, to be fair. But um, other... Actually, no, that's that's not even true. I, I, was, I was trying to kind of be facetious there, but Indra developed from a time trialist. He started winning mountain stages uh, in 94 and 95. So you have to keep discovering new ways of winning the Tour de France. And Pogacar kind of managed that. 2020 was very different from the way he won it in 2021. And he tried to win it in a different way this year, even by not even waiting for the mountains to start attacking. And it, it came around and bit him on the backside. Vingegaard, I haven't seen that he will have another method. I mean, people will be waiting for what he did this year and basing their race off it, and it will change the dynamic. And finally, this is Hans Ruggenberg, Dutch journalist who's had a very busy three weeks because although a Dutch rider isn't top of the general classification, Jumbo Visma is very much a Dutch team. And, well, there may well be a, an all-Dutch finale on the Champs-Élysées tomorrow if Fabio Jakobsen can summon up some strength from somewhere or Dylan Groenewegen perhaps sprint it uh, out on the Champs-Élysées. Hans, it looks like the first Dutch team to win the Tour de France since TI Rally. Joop Zotemelk in 1980. But how is this story going down in the Netherlands? Do cycling fans in the Netherlands and sports fans in general, do they see Jumbo Visma as almost uh, the Dutch team, even though the riders in the yellow and green and polka dot jerseys are not Dutch riders? Well, of course, it, it would be better for the Dutch fans if there was a, a Dutch uh, competitor as well, like Dumoulin a few years ago, of course, when he was second in the Tour de France. But um, I, I, I can see uh, that it gets more and more uh, in the people's head uh, that, that uh, this team is uh, doing very well because yeah, they're kind of crushing this Tour de France, of course. So I see it in the, in the, in the figures that, the, uh, that they read stories more and everything. So, yeah, I, it, it's, try, it's beginning to live a little bit more now yeah, in the Netherlands. Obviously, the team's Dutch rider, Steven Krausreich, had a really unfortunate end to the tour, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, he uh, he had some problems with, a co- with his collarbone. I think he broke it, and also there was uh, something with his, with his shoulder as well. So, yeah, that's a pity because he was the only Dutch rider in this team, of course. So, yeah, people can identify a little bit with with him, of course, when he's and he was doing well. Eh? He was he was riding in front at the at the mountain. So, there was something that the people in Holland uh, uh, could see as, uh, hey, uh, we we we've got a Dutch guy. But if you see Alpe d'Huez with with the Dutch corner, of course, with, with so many Dutch people and also along this road, which, which uh, very uh, much Dutch people are having their holidays here. Yeah, they kind of uh, yeah, st- still are uh, enjoying it, uh, as I can see. What about Jumbo, the supermarket chain? Because it's a supermarket chain competing with Gulf states, um, you know, UAE, uh, Astana, the Kazakh state. Uh, Bahrain, another Gulf state, um, a billionaire, Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos. And Jumbo is a a supermarket, a big supermarket, because they have branches all across Europe, don't they? But um, do you get the sense that, that, uh, you know, of the the profile of the Jumbo supermarket being boosted by the success of the cycling team? I think that's kind of difficult because we have different kind of supermarkets, like in every country, of course. But, uh, well, if you see Jumbo on television, uh, I don't think you're going to do more groceries over there if you're going to another <laughs> store store I, I don't think so but but still um well 
for the for maybe for the other countries eh, where, when, where Jumbo is new in, they're, they're trying to get up more in Belgium well if you got Van Aert in the team that's a good thing of course but I don't think in the Netherlands that people will say now well we, we now go to Jumbo to, to do our shoppings where do you do your shopping Hans? <laughs> uh, I, I must confess I do it at Albert Heijn uh, but, but that's because uh, it's, it's near my house because if, that, if, if there was a Jumbo or another story, uh, store I would, uh, I would go there so uh, <laughs> I mean, the team obviously um, is competing with these huge, um, you know, uh, companies and countries that have a lot of backing. Yeah. But this story, this journey, uh, really, Jumbo Visma, uh, the team salvaged from the wreckage of Rabobank, and then there was a the kind of the interim period, the wilderness years, or where they had no sponsor, they were Blanco for a, for a while, and 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 Belkin. And now they've really re-established themselves and they set out with this goal to try and challenge Team Sky. And now here we are. They've, they've achieved their goal of, of winning the yellow and the green jersey. Yeah, and the polka dot as well, uh, <laughs> as, my, as I must say. Uh, yeah, they had a really difficult time, uh, like you said. Uh, after Rabobank uh, stopped in 2012, uh, it was really difficult. And it was, they were on the, on, the, on the corner of maybe uh, quit. But then, yeah, they, they, they stood up and they, they tried to get up a new team. Uh, and if you see them now, uh, yeah, it's unbelievable uh, because they're the best team in this Tour de France, without a doubt. And, and, and I think uh, a lot goes to, uh, to Richard Plugge, uh, who, who is the manager of the team, but also uh, Marijn Zeeman and all those people who built, who built uh, Jumbo Visma, well, uh, like they are now. And what about the other big story for Dutch cycling, the, the rivalry between Dylan Groenewegen and Fabio Jakobsen? Of course, we all remember the crash in the Tour of Poland. There was something quite symbolic about the fact they both won a stage in Denmark and they may well go head-to-head again on the Champs-Élysées tomorrow. Yeah, maybe, but if I, if I saw Jakobsen yesterday, um, I think it, it will be difficult for him, but let's hope... They will be facing each other over there because in the first two stages there 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 wasn't really a man-to-man uh, fight between them and uh, yeah it, it will be nice to see uh, after this horror crash in Poland two years ago and after what they did in the first weekend of the tour winning first Jakobs and then Kunewege to see them against each other uh, yeah and on the Champs Elysees uh, the winner of those two uh, could be the, the the fastest sprinter in the world. Jakobsen's on his last legs, though, really, isn't he? I mean, he only just made the time cut a few days ago, still struggling on the climbs. Uh, the whole quick-step team is with him on the, the, the final big Pyrenean stage. But somehow the sprinters find their legs, don't they? Even though they're, they're completely finished when it comes to the climbs, there's something about the finish line on the Champs-Élysées that kind of rejuvenates them. Yeah, that we've seen in the past already. Uh, that that uh, the sprinters then, when they when they smell the finish line in Paris, they can do something more. But what I see in this Tour de France, it's it's the fastest Tour de France in history. And uh, yesterday we saw also the, the sprinters were all they they were finished uh, because well, when Laporte won and and he he came in front. I never seen something like that before. That the sprinters teams couldn't get. Uh, a, a rider like that back so hopefully we're going to see a sprint on the Champs-Élysées but, like, but Jakob said yeah but it's, it's still quite uh, uh, steep <laughs> uh, onto the Champs-Élysées every time and he was afraid of that I never heard a sprinter talk like that because when sprinters say something like that uh, then, you, then you know it's, it's been a hard tour for, for everyone and, and for the sprinters even more I think
If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Well, Francois, the sound of the Tour de France packing up behind us. Everything has to move north to Paris. We've got a... Well, here <laughs> <Well>. we are. <laughs> the signal to, you know, of the, the big exodus to Paris. Yeah, everybody's packing up. You can tell people, you know, trying to, find, trying to find the right way to get to Paris. Some are sleeping in Limoges. Others are sleeping here. Others are really going all the way to Paris tonight. And uh, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's funny because I, we, we say that every year, but uh, once again, the, the last stage will be one for the sprinters, and there'll be lots of Sean de Champs Elysees. But uh, but yes, it, yeah, normally it's a lap of honor for Jonas Vingegaard. Unnecessary honking from this truck here, I think. <laughs> I don't know what he's trying to tell somebody. Is it? We're not in the way, are we? No, I don't think so. Well, we saw the press conference of the top three riders, Geraint Thomas, Tadej Pogacar and Jonas Vingegaard. And we'll talk about the GC battle a bit more tomorrow in Paris, Francois. But uh, let's just hear a little bit from Jonas Vingegaard in his winner's press conference. I know there's still one day to go, but effectively he's the winner of the Tour de France. This is Jonas Vingegaard talking to the media in the press room probably about an hour and a half after the stage finish. And, uh, well, one of the questions was from... Kate Wagner, who made the point that Vingegaard had not really faced the same questions about doping that Tadej Pogacar faced last year. And, uh, well, this is uh, what Vingegaard had to say about that. Uh, we are totally clean, every one of us. Uh, I can say that to, to, to every one of you. Uh, no one of us is taking anything illegal. Uh, I think why we are so good is the preparation we do. Yeah, we, we, we take yeah, altitude camps uh, to the next step. Uh, yeah, we do everything in, 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 with materials, with, with, with everything, with food, with, with training. I think uh, the team is, is really the best within this. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's why you have to trust us. I knew from last year that I had the level to compete for the victory. Uh, but then still to, to, to take it is, is something uh, different and uh, it's just been, been really incredible. Uh, I always believed that I had a chance of, of winning the Tour de France, uh, but now to actually do it is, 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 yeah, it's really incredible. It was a fair point from Kate that in the press conference, uh, Vingegaard has not faced uh, the same kind of questioning that we've seen from riders in the yellow jersey in the past. Yeah, it was one of the astonishing points for me. Like, 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 like you had the impression our colleagues and maybe cycling had kind of turned the page, and then doping was no longer an issue, or was no, or was not interesting for uh, for our colleagues. Maybe because the race was exciting, there was a, a bit of a battle, and and probably the questions uh, you know crop up uh, more easily when there's a, 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 a real solid domination by just one rider from start to finish. So with with, with the the battle between. 
Vingegaard and Pogacar, uh, probably the doping issue and the doping concerns, you know, took took second second fiddle uh, this time. Still, you know, probably the fastest tour ever. Uh, uh, so we are still the domination, you know, by one team unprecedented since probably 1984. Uh, so there, there, there are probably grounds for, you know, the, the sceptics to say, oh, to, to, to raise their eyebrows. And in any case, yeah, it's strange. I mean, it, 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 we had to wait for the final press conference for Kate Wagner to ask the question I would have asked as well, uh, which is not so much about uh, trying to find out whether Jumbo uh, Visma, you know, do the open or not. I mean, the, the answers are always the same. Not at all. We train hard. We have the best equipment. Uh, we take you know marginal gains. We take uh, 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 we take attention to all the little details, the nutrition, the uh, and and you know and all these sort of of, of arguments that are uh, you know. But but yeah, the, the the question in this case is why all of a sudden has doping kind of disappeared from the from sight? Uh, from uh, so is it a good news? Is it bad news? I, I don't have the answer to that. But uh, there we are. Well, yeah, there is very little to go on and there hasn't been much to go on really since before the lockdown and uh, I mean the UCI issued some you know, encouraging statistics about the level of testing that was maintained through the lockdown period and um, you know maintain that testing is going on. Uh, there's, there's not really much else to kind of get your teeth into doping wise. There's the investigation centering on the Bahrain victorious team. Miguel Angel Lopez of Astana has been uh, questioned by um, police about uh, a, a, a matter that uh, relates to doping according to the, the people asking the questions anyway. Um, so I suppose is it a case with my sort of sceptical hat on that uh, can cycling, is it possible to be too clean? I don't know. Is it is it's the fact that there is very little noise um, around the peloton, something that in a funny way should raise our suspicion slightly. I mean, I've talked to a few people uh, this week about um, the, 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 uh, how much of a level ahead Jumbo Visma and even Pogacar have been. And there's been the odd raised eyebrow about um, the, the level, but just hearing Rod Ellingworth say that Geraint Thomas is better now than he was in 2018... Um, yeah, it's 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 a puzzle. It's not one that I can readily get my head around. But like I say, we'll discuss in a bit more detail in Paris and maybe uh, canvas a bit more opinion tomorrow afternoon. Just on your stat about uh, the Renault Elf team in 1984, they actually won 10 of 23 stages, including the team time trial with seven different riders. 1986, Lavie Claire won six stages as they dominated the tour with Bernardino and Greg LeMond and I think Nicky Ruterman and Jean-Francois Bernard also won stages. Uh, six stage wins for Jumbo Visma so far. They could make it seven tomorrow, which, as you say, Francois, would be, I think, the tour record since 1984. But we shall have to see on the Champs-Élysées tomorrow. We should probably wrap things up there because, as I say, we've got to get north to Limoges, the hippopotamus restaurant does stay open late, but it doesn't stay open um, beyond 10.30, so we need to get there for that. Just a few things to update people on before we return for our final Tour de France episode tomorrow. Uh, Stacey Snyder's Tour de France Femme Cups, uh, cappuccino sets, espresso sets and whiskey cups will go on sale on Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time, and that's 4 p.m. Central European Time. Go to Stacey's Etsy store. There's a link to that store on our website, thecyclingpodcast.com. You can vote for your Pedaleur de Charme, and the winner will receive a Stacey Snyder Cup. 
and the four finalists, after much deliberation by the jury, were Magnus Court, Fred Wright, Jonas Vingegaard and Ugo Uhl. And you can go to our Twitter page, cycling underscore podcast, to vote for your favourite there. The collection of wine, Le Cru de Flaneur, curated by Greg Andrews, has uh, been flying out of the door from Divine Cellars. If you'd like to um, enjoy the the, uh, the the wine edition of the Tour de France, go to thecyclingpodcast.com and you can buy the case there. Our book, well, Francois, you had a big hand in this book, Olivier Haralambon's book, originally written in French, translated by you, The Cyclist and His Shadow, we're going to talk about that tomorrow in Paris and uh, we'll put out a, a little chat about the book as an episode of Kilometre Zero next week. But the book is on sale, thecyclingpodcast.com for that as well. And just before we get to the Tour de Buffalo to round off today's episode, a real honour for us today because at the British Podcast Awards, the Cycling Podcast was asked to present the Best Sports Podcast Award. And, uh, well, neither Daniel Freed nor myself were able to be there today, unfortunately, in London for the awards. Um, so we asked our producer and presenter of Service Course, Tom Wally, to present the award on the Cycling Podcast behalf. Um, we were asked really as a, a nod to Richard Moore and his contribution to sports podcasting. So very honoured to be at the British Podcast Awards this afternoon. Tom Wally handed the prize to a BBC World Service podcast called The Fake Paralympians. And I think one of the podcasts that Tom produces, The Football Ramble, was runner-up. No nomination for the cycling podcast this year, although we were nominated in the first, I think the first four years of the awards. But... Uh, we're the Raymond Poulidor of British sports podcasts because we've uh, been on the podium several times, but we've never actually won it. Maybe next year. Anyway, Francois, we need to get to Paris for tomorrow's stage, not just the final stage of the men's race, but also the opening stage of the Tour de France fam. Daily coverage of that coming from, well, Monday, really, with Rose Manley. We'll recap tomorrow's stage within the regular episode of the Cycling Podcast as the race kicks off. But this is the Tour de Buffalo, and this, Francois, is from last year in Paris when you were sitting down for dinner, I think, and saw... Geraint Thomas walking up the street after the finish of the Tour de France with his wheelie suitcase and Richard, being Richard, flagged him down and recorded a conversation for the podcast. The Tour du Buffalo, remembering Richard Moore. So I'm happy to have been teammates with him. That was Chris Yule Jensen and we're in the right place here, guys, because look who's coming down the street. It's, wow, Paul's still in his cycling kit. And Geraint Thomas pushing a pushing a pram. Geraint, how are you? Yeah, I've been better. It's nice to finish though and first race with the boy here, so yeah. Well your family's here, you're pushing a, a buggy from Tour de France rider to Well, hello. Is this the first time they've been at the race or? Yeah, well they came to the TT at the Worlds last year, but that was a bit abnormal as well. So first proper race. So yeah, it's been nice to have him here, but Switch off for 12 hours, then on the plane to Tokyo. So, when, when do you leave? Tomorrow night. So you've not had an ideal tour, obviously pretty bashed up from the start, but how do you come out of it? How do you feel? Uh, I actually feel okay um, for coming out of the tour. Uh, just rest up now and then just give it everything on Saturday and we see what happens, really. And then the TT. The TT is probably a better... Well, you know, I'll have longer to acclimatise for that. It's Wednesday, obviously, so a week Wednesday. But, um, yeah, we'll see how it goes, but... I'm looking forward to it, you know, a bit of a change of scenery as well, different, you know, with GB and stuff, it's different to the team, obviously, so, yeah. 
And, and the team happy? You've got someone on the podium, um, Billy, I believe he's known as. Um, yeah. But you know, that's uh, that's a success, I guess. Yeah, of course. This is the first time you know an Ecuadorian guy's been on the podium, so you know that's good in itself. And then you know, I think we're just obviously when you've won it seven times, anything but winning is seen as disappointment, isn't it? Really. And you know, we didn't win a stage, um, but we got Billy on the podium. Um, so I think it's still you know we can be happy and proud of what we did. You know, it's just. It was a crazy tour, as everyone knows, you know, it was totally different to normal, like, so even UAE didn't seem too keen to even ride on the Champs-Élysées, which was crazy, you know, I thought, you know, make the most of it, like, you mm. know, it was a few laps of honours, you know, but anyway, it's just, it's different, <laughs> but um, go again next year, don't we? Pogacar beatable? No one's unbeatable, but he's certainly uh, pretty talented and pretty good, but, um, you know, I think... Well, if I hadn't have, you know, slapped off and if Richie hadn't as well, and at least we would have had a few more guys up there and could have done something different, whether I would have cracked him, I probably doubt it this tour, but who knows? You know, next year's a different... It's, every race you start from scratch, don't you? So well, You're good at podcasting, so, you know... I've always, you know, I've got stuff to fall back on, you know. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you've got, you got to uh, broaden... Your skill base. That's the one, yeah, yeah. More strings to your bow and all that, yeah. That's what, that's what I was thinking of. Good luck in Tokyo. One last question for Garrett: Is it going to be a fourth season of Gavin Stace? <laughs> it should be Stacy, oh. not Stace, mate. Come on. Oh, it's a, <laughs> gotta be. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No hope. Well, it's it's a quality show, that isn't it? Quality, yeah. <laughs> and Twin Town. You seen Twin Town? No. You gotta watch that. That's okay. A cracking movie. Great. Yeah. Nice. Thanks, Garrett. Cheers. We must get to Paris, Francois. Let's go. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freib and Lionel Burney.